0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, we discuss a new normal of hot and smoky with our guest, Mona Shum.
1: We have a a certain way of doing things that is... um, that is that was really brought to light during COVID, right? Um, we had never heard of hierarchy of controls before in the general media <laughs> prior to COVID, at least I had. not So bringing that to light and using those skills, the ability to think through risk assessment and control um, to this these emerging issues, such as such as this climate change issue um, in particular with the wildfire smoke and heat stress. I think if we can do that and start to frame it in, um, in the way we'd be framing all these sorts of hazards in industrial environments.
0: Meet Alice Hamilton. She was an early pioneer in what we know today as industrial hygiene. Her work had a profound impact on AIHA's earliest members. AIHA's Hamilton Club recognizes organizations that continue her work. These corporate partners use innovation and expertise to shape the future of worker health and safety. Partners receive tiered benefits of access, recognition, contribution, and brand exposure. The Hamilton Club is the center of support and investment between club partners, AIHA, and its members. This is where the future of the profession shines the brightest. For more information, visit AIHA.info slash Hamilton Club. Welcome, Mona, to the uh, Healthier Workplaces show. really important topic, talking about climate change and how it affects uh, occupational health and safety professionals.
1: So I I think right now uh, we have an emerging issue that affects all of us and uh, really climate changes is is affecting um, different occupations. And currently as occupational hygienists or industrial hygienists, we're faced with a a sort of a new, uh, new issue that we really haven't had to deal with much in the past. And so, how we're seeing this manifest itself is in heat stress and uh, wildfires. and so f- namely, wildfire smoke. And so that's really the topic of of uh, today's discussion is really that aspect of uh, of what we're having to deal with as industrial hygienists.
0: so so we're dealing with uh, people, uh, gig workers that sort of thing we've had we've had that discussion on previous episodes, uh, people that are out uh, perhaps maybe not under. Uh, under the coverage of having uh, a, an organization that they work for that has a uh, really good environmental health and safety capacity. Uh, but all, but this, this is true for everyone though, right? This, this is all yes. sectors of work.
1: All sectors so- of work. I think where we have uh, struggled uh, in the past few years is is really trying to figure out how to measure the hazard, how to assess the risk and then what to do about it. <laughs> because it is an emerging issue for, uh, for all of us and it's becoming more and more commonplace that uh, we here in the north, in um, British Columbia, are experiencing more and more hot summers, um, a number of wildfires through the summer, not only in our province, but also in surrounding uh, provinces and states. So we've been having to deal with these issues. And um, when I first started dealing with them, a number of years ago we were a little caught off guard right because we were we were thinking oh okay well we're not going to compare to our occupational health uh, guide, guidance really because there isn't that much guidance on um uh, on wildfire smoke in, in that literature um so we had to start looking at public health uh guidelines and so it was a little bit of a different uh, animal for us and so i i felt that it was um really important to, to take what we learned as industrial hygienists and apply it to a slightly different um, environment and, and a different population too, because we have, uh, I, I work a lot with the film industry. And so in that population, we have people who are uh, in the cast that are young, very young and very old and all, uh, all who have all sorts of uh, different vulnerabilities as well, right? So it's, it's a different population than what we normally deal with as industrial hygienists. We normally work with a, a, a working population that's fairly healthy right being able to to go to work we don't normally deal with the extremes in in ages and and vulnerabilities so so anyways uh it was an interesting environment to be in and then having to deal with not only wildfire smoke but also the heat that comes with it oftentimes and so we were having to kind of come up with new ways of looking at it um taking old approaches I guess.
0: well i mean and this wildfires on the west coast of north america are not a new thing but obviously they've, they've been becoming more more severe and and um, greater occurrence right i mean we're this is this is, this is uh, over the last several years we just see more and more and more of this um so let's 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 talk about some of the uh, some of the ways that you know from your perspective and how you know from the occupational health and safety perspective um we can deal with it so you you mentioned using public health guidelines instead of what would be classically used in it it, like industrial settings right right
1: right so that's what we had to do and apply to the film um population uh because they're often working outside as well um they're they're often filming outside so we couldn't compare to like these these really high uh, occupational uh, standards for just nuisance dust right that's going to be too high um we needed to to think about um how we could protect workers who are working in an outdoor environment doing a doing a film shoot, et cetera. Um, so we, we started looking into the public health guidelines and, and using those as a as a starting off point. And then um, we actually had people measure, you know, so we we utilized some of the the industrial hygiene techniques that we have to actually monitor on site and and we had uh, sort of action plans at to at which level they'd have to start doing things and maybe uh, limiting their time outside or sometimes not filming at all. So um, we actually helped develop these wildfire smoke plans for uh, for the industry, which was different, you know, from what we had done in like uh, you know a, a stationary plant where they work um, you know regular shifts and um, it's it's uh, it's a bit of a different animal, as I was saying before.
0: Well, it seems like that would be especially challenging because you know especially you dealing in, in the film industry you're you're going to be shooting in a variety of different locations studio locations on-site locations they're all different i mean it's like yeah. so to try to it's it, it's not as there's really not a one-size-fits-all right for the so, so how do you how do you create plans that can adapt to really varying conditions varying locations uh even varying times of the day and you know like sure. it, it seems pretty complex
1: yeah, so so what we ended up doing was taking those public gui- health guidelines and saying, you know, really, we should choose this limit uh, at, at which, you know, there's an action that happens. Um, and then maybe there's no outdoor filming, but indoor filming can still occur under these sor- sorts of conditions, um, such as if you have a good filtration system uh, on your HVAC system. Um, a lot of times, though, people um, people work in these studios that are just warehouses, um, and they don't really have proper mechanical ventilation. So oftentimes people would just open the bay doors and things in between takes, but that doesn't really work. <laughs> that might work from a heat stress perspective to try to get in some fresh air, but if you're bringing in a uh, wildfire smoke when you do that. So so we had to um, look at maybe some solutions around um, localized uh, ventilation scrubbers that would scrub the air, have the filters that would scrub the air. Uh, inside the facility uh, to be able to to clean the air that was already in there and then have air conditioning units that also um, could try to um, reduce some of that outdoor air um, unfiltered air coming in
0: now what's interesting with that too is you know with the hePA filtration you're dealing with the airborne particulate which of course is a you know big constituent right of wildfire smoke uh, but if if you're you know you get locked down in a recycle mode now you're not dealing with any gaseous contaminants like uh, carbon di- carbon dioxide. For example just from the people right if, you know if, if there's an occupant density i'm assuming in a big uh, sound stage that you've got so much so much volume there that maybe that's not a big issue but perhaps yes. it would be right
1: yeah no definitely you're you're exactly spot on bob because um well we had to deal with COVID before and sometimes we had to deal with COVID heat stress and 12 fire smoke right. at the same time <laughs> so all those three things mixed together um so some controls for one may not necessarily uh uh, really jive with the other right so Mm -hmm. we were finding like opening doors opening windows wasn't the greatest thing for um for wildfire smoke but might might be better for heat and might be better for covid (laughs) reasons um but then we had to find sort of happy medium so what we ended up doing also um, from a covid perspective is um, when we use these type of filtration units we were also measuring uh, carbon dioxide just to make sure we were getting proper amount of uh, air exchange for other things, <laughs> right? So it was a fine line and we had to sort of take sure. take what was uh, reasonable and we probably, um, we didn't reach an ideal, which is, you know, we wanted these six air changes per hour for COVID mm. reasons and other things, but we had to also deal with special effects. They had fog that they were using and we wanted to keep the fog inside the, <laughs> inside the studio. So it became sort of one layer upon another layer of having as hy- hygienists having to be flexible adaptable trying to like do better than what was happening um on set right then but then realizing that ideal may not be totally achievable <laughs> right, under right. the circumstances so we i think we did our best in trying to like really um trying to control some of those exposures as well as you know making sure that we could still film like still
0: film you know and one of the one of the phrases that's really troubled me that's come off of COVID is uh, the effective air change term, you know, that term mm-hmm. of, you know, be, because it, what it, to me, it still conflates the, the aspect of it's not really an air change, you know, because an effective air change is just going through a, a de- air filtration device. And if they're just using a filtration device that has HEPA filtration and not do, does do any gas sorbent. Capacity, um, it's not really an air change, right? It's it's, right. it's an air filtration cycle is is really right. what it is. And, right. and, and it's but I think only
1: certain things. You're right. And
0: I think many people, general general consumers, of course, don't really understand that. But I think even people in you know a lot of people that are involved in uh, the. Professional side of not 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 people that are actually practitioners in your industry, but I'm thinking in terms of facility managers, people like that. I think they sometimes don't understand that as well. You yes, know, we hear that yes.
1: Well. So I mean, our, our ideal, of course, is to have a mechanical system, right? That's going to bring in filtered air. So we were we were wanting sort of MERV thirteen um, rating at least from a COVID perspective, and also. Um, from a particulate perspective. So MERV 13, if you can have mechanical ventilation, then you're bringing in fresh air that's filtered into your building. That helps take care of the the wildfire smoke issue, um, helps also circulate fresh air into the building from a COVID perspective. That's really the ideal. It's just when we had to work with some other um, buildings that really just weren't set up to do that, we had to use filtration as well as, you know, when we could getting fresh air from outdoors by bringing it in through some kind of filtration system um, from outside.
0: So, uh, you, you know, brand right in the open, you mentioned, you know, the the concept of dealing with uh, uh, higher levels of potential heat stress. Uh, yes. so, so, you know, take this. is So this again, now I think this is something that this climate change is going to affect for all industries, for everything, right? Uh, you know, wildfire yes. smoke is, is a specific thing that's happening in certain geographic areas around the globe. And, and it's obviously becoming a, a horrific problem um, in many areas. But the heat stress issue really could be occurring everywhere, right?
1: Definitely, definitely. And so we started getting brought into um, dealing with heat stress as well because we do have good occupational regulation in that area here. So it's how do we um, how do we convey that to like the film industry, for instance, and um, and have them come up with you know heat stress plans and and control plans and things like that. So um, we've actually developed a digital app right now that. Um, that will have help people measure their heat stress risk, and it's just a simple app that's based on the humidex uh, ratings that are acceptable here in in British Columbia to use as one of the um, ways to measure heat stress. So it's it's actually made for the film industry, and it's for a particular union union here, IATC 891 um, But I can see it being utilized in many different places. It's it's you know asking you questions around what's the temperature, what's the relative humidity. Um, you're supposed to use like like a hygrometer or some kind of other measuring device to get that because you want localized data. Um, and then it walks you through questions. What are you wearing? <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Is it sort of a uh, high, uh, high activity, um, high um, sort of load activity? Or are you sitting down? That sort of thing. So it brings you through all of those. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, you get a Humidex rating and then what to do. That's the most important part. Like we we refer back to our uh, guidelines here in British Columbia about what to do when you get to these ratings. So it's all about, similar to what I was saying with wildfire plans, it's all about having a plan and then having sort of what are you going to do when things reach a certain level? You know, you need to be able to give people some tools.
0: Well, what I would think would be uh, really paramount is that this is an ongoing monitoring, right? You don't just take a snapshot one time a day and That's say yes. the Conditions very conditions change just time of day. Right. You know,
1: definitely, definitely. So with the uh, for the wildfire smoke um, plan, for instance, we say to measure continuously when there is a wildfire um, smoke issue. And then with um, with the heat stress, uh, you're supposed to do it every hour, uh, really, when when there's a risk of heat stress. So and you're supposed to sort of record uh, what you're finding. So it's easy enough on an app, you can you can snap a screenshot and keep those for records. and we we say where you are and what time it was and that sort of thing, so people can have those sorts of records that meet our our guidelines here, um, but would be useful elsewhere as well.
0: And again, that, that app you said was developed uh, for the film industry by a film union yes. uh, there yes. in Canada. Um, yes. So 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 let's let's look bigger picture. Some of the things you're discussing. How how would you uh, adapt or uh, modify uh, some of the things that you that you've taken uh, into account in the film industry, and, mm-hmm. and use them, you know more of a globally uh, for industry for occupational health and safety professionals everywhere.
1: Well, something like this app can be utilized anywhere. Really. We've just modified some of the language. So we, we talk about, you know, radiant heat being from the sun and maybe from very strong, high powered lights that they would use in a studio. But essentially that question could, could just flip back to, you know, do you have any radiant heat sources such as the sun or are you in a, um, you know, than in a, in a particular industrial environment. So I think the, the app can be used by by really anyone. It's just uh, simple wording um, modifications that need to happen. So I we do want to you know have that available to other people uh, to utilize. It's based on the Humidex method, which may or may not be an acceptable method in, in different jurisdictions. I think it is here in Canada in certain jurisdictions, uh, but maybe not in the United States. So I think something like that, though, using like the WIBJIT method, the well, wet, wet bulb um, globe temperature method, which is um, utilized by um, industrial hygienists all over the world, uh, that's something you could you, you could actually modify something like this to use that method instead of pointing to the Humidex. So, and, and it would still provide um, controls and things like that, maybe in a more generic way, um, if you want it for more the general population or, or the general workforce, um, or you could maybe sp- make it specific like we did here for the film industry in British Columbia. <laughs> so I, I can see something like this, an app just being very um, useful for a whole bunch of different uses. It just requires probably a little modification.
0: Yeah, and what's neat about having an app is again, that's a, that's a readily available tool, right? You have—you right. know, right. if you have to go back to your desktop and you have to deal with it that way, that's not yes. that's not going to be... My understanding of, of this whole thing is you this is really a field type practice. You have to be out in right. the field Taking these readings, monitoring the conditions, so having a you know a companion app that you can have on your smart device seems to make a yeah, lot of sense. Yeah,
1: that's that's what we're thinking. I mean, uh, <laughs> as industrial hygienists, we're always thinking, you know, um, you know, what's the next thing out there? I and I know people are trying to use technology a lot more, and not only um, not only for these types of applications, but also in uh, in general with air monitoring, because um, and not just air monitoring, noise and radiation non-ionizing radiation all those sorts of things as well because i find like some of the tools we utilize <laughs> are like uh so outdated i you know i've had to find an ethernet connection and a connector <laughs> and then go what do i plug this into i have nothing to plug it into and a lot of our instrumentation is quite old and i i do know we're, we're having some um movement now into newer technologies etc but i I think we could still do a lot more as, as an industrial hygiene community to really, um, to be in the forefront of, of technology changes <laughs> and, and sure. sort of embrace them.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's I think it's important because actually the, the people in the field will drive some of the innovation, you know, mm-hmm. because, I, I mean, I think we are in, in, on the cusp of a really major technology shift for the sensing devices and the field, the field equipment that we'll be using, uh, but certainly, you know, to have equipment that's that's user-friendly that's you know it's practical for people in the field you really need the field practitioner input right definitely
1: you know, definitely and i i think also um for, from our perspective and i don't not sure in the united states if you um, have the similar issue but we only have sort of standardized uh, methods of air sampling and things like that that are acceptable to
0: and we, uh, as do we yeah, yeah
1: yeah for compliance reasons. So also trying to get those these new sensor technologies and this sort of more direct reading instruments etc. Acceptable as as compliance um, sampling that would be uh, that would move the needle <laughs> right because yeah. right now what what we're um, stymied by is the fact that we do do direct reading instruments and we do do direct reading um, measurements, but. They're not compliant a lot of times, right? <laughs> right. And so, so then we have to do also NIOSH methods or OSHA right. methods, et cetera, in alongside with our direct reading instruments, and then sort of um, um, make some make some assumptions around those direct reading instruments. But and that's how we do it right now.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, c- and certainly, that's not the most expeditious way to monitor certain conditions when you have to have laboratory analysis and things like that done. You know, that's not, right. you're, you're not. You're not in a real time mode. And I, and I think with things such as wildfire, where we're dealing with it, it is a real-time problem. It's a real-time problem that constantly shifts, and you, you need to be able to, on the fly, know what's happening. So
1: Right, right. And so we've, we've um, had to adjust, especially in the film world, because uh, we used to do a lot of fog monitoring, so atmospherics fog for um, effects. And we tried, or we proposed to do like NIOSH sampling with an air sampling pump and, you know, media, et cetera. And uh, that was just not going to work on film sets because (laughs) first of all, people aren't going to wear them. They're allowed, they take, you know, a week or two to actually um, to get analyzed so you can have results. It wasn't wasn't really an option for them. So that's when we developed things like these correction factors with these direct reading instruments, um, taking sort of a gold standard um, NIOSH method and alongside like a direct reading instrument and sort of formulating some kind of correction factor we could utilize in in film sets actually during filming. And so that that's sort of that that new piece we, we'd love to be able to do and bring to other areas of industrial hygiene. Um, and we are doing that. We're doing that in mining and we're doing that in um, manufacturing, et cetera. But like I said, it's this tying it back to the NIOSH method. And is this an acceptable method? So far in the film industry, um, our regulator seems to accept that method uh, with the directory ins- instruments because we've tied it back to that NIOSH method. Um, hopefully that we'll see that um, sort of acceptance in other areas.
0: So, and in fact, you're using the NIOSH method as a calibration standard for exactly. your directory equipment.
1: Exactly, here. exactly. So. Yeah, so we're, we're hoping that we can continue to do that and have that be acceptable, but it'd be, it'd be great if we could actually get direct reading instruments sort of calibrated um, in a way that um, our regulators will accept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bringing it all back to um, our original topic really of, of uh, climate change, heat stress, wildfire smoke. Um, I, I really wanted to get across to other uh, people in the industry that um, we have to start thinking about how to approach these things um, in a collaborative way and, and sort of learn from each other. So we have this um, at AIH, uh, uh, CE, the, the conference that's coming up in uh, May in Phoenix, we have this session um, that's on um, this very topic. It's uh, on wildfire smoke and, and heat stress. And we're actually trying to elicit sort of a response from other industrial hygienists. We want people to tell us what's happening in their jurisdictions. What's sort of a best practice that's going on? What are you using for, um, for your wildfire smoke plans or your heat stress plans, et cetera? Because I know different jurisdictions are doing it differently. So we're trying to, like, um, as a community, learn from each other because it's still a fairly emerging issue. And I think as industrial gi- hygienists, um, we have a, a certain way of doing things thats that, is, um, that was really brought to light during covid right um we had never heard of hierarchy of controls before in the general media <laughs> prior to covid at least i hadn't so bringing that to light and using those skills the ability to think through risk assessment and control um to this these emerging issues such as such as this climate change issue um in particular with the wildfire smoke and heat stress i think if we can do that and start to frame it in um in the way we would be framing all these Sorts of hazards in industrial environments. If we can do that with with these new emerging issues, then I think um, we can really help the world. Really, <laughs> you know, yeah. we can really we can really um, assist here. But I think it's learning from each other. So that's why I think discussions like this are really important. But also having the the larger sort of um, session at AIHCE will be really useful because I think people can actually. Uh, provide what they're doing? What are their best practices? How can we learn from each other? Can we form some kind of community of practice around this issue? Maybe AIHA could could do, I know there's a, there is a wildfire uh, committee. Can we, can we talk a little bit more about this issue and how can we as a a community really uh, move that needle, I guess?
0: And I think it's really important for, you know, for your professions uh you know i'm saying professions because I, I i think there are a lot of individual verticals there but uh, to move this forward because i think the general population is more attuned to uh air quality issues envir- environmental quality issues you know coming off the pandemic and having some of the some of this terminology be- becoming normal terminology for e- even the general public so so that this if you're going to move the needle this would be the time uh definitely because I, I think there's yeah, there's, a there's, there's little bit more intention on it. And certainly this is a problem that's not just uh, a one-off issue. This climate change issue is progressively getting worse. The wildfire issues, I believe will continue to accelerate um, and, unless we can find some solution to that. So we are going to have to deal with this.
1: Right, and you know we're talking about heat and, and wildfire here, but from a climate change perspective, uh, we've been dealing with floods right? Um, and I know that uh, there have been uh, huge floods in California recently. Um, this new term, it was a new term for me a couple of years ago, atmospheric river. It's, <laughs> you know, we've been hearing these new sort of weather terms. And, um, and I really do think we're, we're hearing about them more often now because of climate change. And it, we're dealing with the aftermath of those as well, you know, the, the mold issues, the uh, structural issues. So from a hygiene perspective, we also get involved on the sort of, um, I guess, the opposite end of the the heat stress issue, and in in many ways, it's it's during the winter where we get a, a number of these uh, huge floods, a lot of snow, a lot of snow melt, those sorts of things that happen.
0: <clears throat> sure, I mean, are these well, and they and they all tie together, and then certainly uh, you're going to have uh, landslides and those sort of things happening because you've burned off the vegetative cover during the wildfire season and now when you have flooding now it's more severe effects from that you know it just right right so it sort of
1: compounds right and it all sort of um you know it, it all works together you can't separate it one from another right so we're seeing those sorts of effects as well and they're having huge effects um here in in British Columbia but I I do know as I was following the news in California too lots of lots of flooding, snow in LA, <laughs> you know,
0: that, yeah, yeah, that that's that's a havoc. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, yeah, and unfortunately I think we're in for uh, more of these uh, extreme weather events coming coming forward. So it's really important that, you know, as, as a professional community, uh, everyone here is looking forward uh, and coming up with solutions, you know, to uh, you know, dealing with these issues and these crises.
1: Yeah, and I think it all comes back to like some of those taking those skills as industrial hygienists that we have um coming up with plans, right? So disaster plans, what do you, contingency plans? What do you, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to deal with things like that? And then um I know people you know have started putting together disaster plans and like pandemic plans and things like that um over the the last few years, but really thinking about all the different possible um climate change effects right and, and thinking through how are we going to deal with that what kind of plan can we have uh in place uh going forward and even this the smallest company like my, my company we can start to put together like uh, plans around what would we do uh in that situation how are we going to to continue doing what we do
0: so that's our show for this week we'll be back in two weeks with a new show until next time i'm bob krell thanks again for watching and stay healthy